Hello and welcome to the Polemical History Podcast, where we discuss history that borders on taboo. This is Tim Rudy. And this is Anthony Blackwell. And today we're going to talk about the single most infectious disease in human history, one whose name is synonymous with horror. That's right, today we're talking about plague. A plague on both your houses! No misnomer this time. Today's discussion will encompass the three plague pandemics considered to be among the most infamous and fatal biological events in human history. The so-called first pandemic, which began with the Justinian plague of the 6th century CE and reoccurred in Western Eurasia and North Africa over the next two centuries. The second pandemic, beginning with the Black Death, devastating late medieval and early modern Europe. And finally, the third pandemic, which killed millions in South and East Asia at the turn of the 20th century. It is an essential, but before continuing, you might wish to listen to part one, where Tim and I discuss the animal origins of pandemics, as well as three ancient pandemics, the so-called Plague of Athens and the Antonine and Cyprian plagues. Which one has scared you the most so far, just out of curiosity? Which one's the scariest? I think for me, it's like probably the the uh, the Plague of Athens, just because it, it Maybe for us, we don't know much about it, of its origins. You know, it's a very mysterious disease. So that just scares me for some reason. We can't explain it. Yeah, for me, it's just the unprecedented nature of the Plague of Athens that's terrifying. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know why I visualize. Have you ever seen a movie and you see like a sandstorm on the horizon coming towards the characters? I, I, know, I, know, I know a plague doesn't work that way. But that's sort of this visualization that I have of this like coming plague in fact that's the title of the book i think i referred to in the last episode this coming plague this miasma yeah miasma blo- yeah, yeah blowing in that yeah. yeah yeah like the the mummy uh you've seen the mummy yeah yeah, just, Fraser, yeah just like that yeah yeah, yeah. For sure. um well let's start with a sort of a prologue okay so the black death um is going to be the main feature of today's discussion but by way of a prologue let's um first discuss um, as you indicated the plague of Justinian or the Justinianic plague um, of late antiquity um, and I'd like to maybe just highlight the, the different origins of the plague or the sources that we have um, which we base our knowledge about this plague and perhaps some of the consequences and the uh, controversy um, among historians about the uh, the role of the plague um, in determining the future world order. Yeah, and, and if you don't know anything about the Justinian plague, or if you just uh, maybe remember a little bit from from history class or some uh, YouTube video, try to imagine the most uh, prosperous city on earth. You know, basically overnight turning into hell on earth, right? <laughs> yeah, I have these again. It's a very. <laughs> I get all these cinematic references. You know, I imagine uh, season one Walking Dead, and I think it's Atlanta, Georgia. You know, that's depicted, and it's. It's, it's decimated and full of what zombie uh, walkers. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really terrible to think uh, when things are going so well that they can that they can turn overnight like that. It's uh, it's it's really uh, breathtaking. Yeah, I, I, when you read about the Black Death, um, I think the only thing that comes close to it is our sort of our fears and our fantasies about some sort of zombie apocalypse. Um, in fact, I had a listener Owen from Dublin. 
so this is a shout out to you own uh right to me and uh he was he was disappointed that i didn't reference stephen king's the stand in the last episode so I'm, I'm flagging that now owen um so yes it makes me think of the potential disaster that is uh, depicted in stephen king's epic the stand also all right <laughs> so i mean when when you think of plague um most people i assume think of the black death um that struck um not only medieval Europe. Interestingly, we tend to focus on medieval Europe um, in our discussions about the Black Death, but it also um, it also afflicted um, large other large other areas around the world. We'll, we'll get to that. But the first known pandemic of bubonic plague to affect Europe was the Justinianic plague in the uh, in the sixth century. Um, around 540 i think yeah i think 540 542 uh common era uh while it's less famous as i said than the black death of the 14th century the justinianic plague was certainly quite as deadly i don't know why do you think we don't know as much about the justinianic plague um good question maybe because it ravaged so heavily everyone that uh no records were well i mean there are records of the, of the plague of course but maybe because it uh it was such a terrible plague. Maybe it was worse than the other ones by comparison. I mean, it's really hard to quantify these things. Maybe it's just too distant. It's it's less recent. Yeah. yeah. We have very few depictions in, um, I suppose, in popular culture of the Justinianic plague to... Um, and I, I suppose I find it harder to imagine. We actually, when we think about the Roman Empire in general, we tend to focus on the Western Roman Empire before it split and before it... it, 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 it you know, it became the Eastern Roman Empire, and we we think of Byzantine and Constantinople, and and um, and uh, you know Emperor Justinian, and you know characters from this period, Belisarius and Procopius. Um, I think most people, when they when they picture the Roman Roman history, I think they think of early Roman history or you know Julius Caesar, August, you know Augustus's reign. I don't I don't think many people make an immediate connection with. Um, the, the late antiquity um, version of the Roman Empire. I don't know. Or is that just me? No, I think um, they are truly two separate entities in, in everyone's mind, uh, even though we learned that uh, at the time the the Byzantines referred to themselves as Romans. Everyone called them Romans, the Roman Empire. We don't. <laughs> we, we definitely call them the Byzantine Empire. Yeah. Um, and and, we, and we, we definitely don't place the Byzantine Empire anywhere near on the same level as the, the Roman Empire, the original uh, Roman Empire before the, the split, right? Yeah, it's, uh, and it was a Christian Empire by that stage. Too. Right. That's right um, yeah. yeah, I think most people would consider it like a decadent Roman Empire. Uh, yeah, for sure. Oriental, well, but... because they lost so much, I think. Um, I mean, of course, Rome got invaded by the barbarians, but the... Um, this after we we will see you know after Justinian uh, after this plague um, they just it was pretty much a string of losses uh, with maybe a few few wins a uh, few counter wins but it was basically a string of losses to the to the Turkic people the Arabs and so forth until they uh, finally were extinct by the Ottomans. Well, in the last episode, you previously talked about how the word plague was uh, used as sort of a catch-all for a variety of sicknesses and how medicine in this pre-scientific age had little concept of anything that closely resembled germ theory or how pandemics worked. I think you, didn't you credit the word plague to Galen? Um, the word plague to Galen, I don't remember. I remember uh, the pan, the word pandemic is definitely Greek. Galen is Greek, even though he, he worked in Rome. Um, did I did I credit? I, I've already forgotten, sorry. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps I misremember. Um, 
Well, the point is, at this time, I guess medicine was thought of from a more individual perspective, and they, they had little concept of contagion, or a very rudimentary concept of contagion, such as miasma, which we, we mentioned earlier. But true plague, however, I suppose we should start with this. That which is caused by the bacteria Yersinia pestis can actually occur in three forms. Bubonic, okay, which is widely known, creates the buboes. Pneumonic, slightly rarer, or pulmonary plague, uh, more deadly. And in its most deadly form, uh, septicemic. Right. Uh, bubonic plague results in death in roughly 70% of cases. Pneumonic plague has over a 90% mortality rate. Uh, septicemic plague leaves no survivors. Although, yeah, that's rough. Although all three, four, you know, if it were me, I just know I would catch the septicemic variety. <laughs> Already if I catch plague, I think penicillin is a good antidote to plague we'll talk about i suppose measure anti-plague measures today at the end of the episode i'm allergic to penicillin yeah you mentioned that in the last one that sucks that, that really sucks <laughs> i mean <laughs> forget covid19 i'm gonna dive this anachronistic uh yersinia pestis or oh, touching wood yeah well okay. luckily we have uh, other antibiotics now. yeah you'll yeah, be fine let's hope um although three forms um probably existed during the justinianic plague the bubonic form predominated um and it's estimated that bubonic plague during the later Black Death of the 14th century caused death within two days. Right. Yeah. And the bubonic plague, because uh, it's called bubonic because it's usually your lymph nodes under your uh, armpits or uh, your groin, around your groin that, yeah. that uh, get plagued. Yeah. And then bu- what is it like? Bu- bubons or whatever. Bu- the, bubos. Bubos. Yeah. Bubos. Bubos. A funny, it's a funny word. No? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the, the original meaning of that is uh, is your lymph nodes, right? Yeah, is I think so. I, I, and I think also that's where the, the term black death comes from. Uh, I was going to maybe mention this later, but um, it wasn't at the time called or referred to as the black death. I think it was called the Great Pestilence, which is similar to how the French refer to it today, La Grande Peste, um, right. or just simply La Peste. Um, but the, the Black Death, uh, as a term, I think, uh, originates from the 17th century in, in reference to the, the color of the buboes. It, it wasn't called the Black Death, but um, I would like to talk a little bit later about how people really thought they were seeing, um, sort of imagine maybe like a Grim Reaper type figure. We, we do have accounts of people imagine like you know maybe being in uh in byzantium at the time at the capital um uh, constantinople sorry and uh people reporting that they actually saw a, a you know a figure like a floating figure mm-hmm. perhaps with a skeleton face dressed in black uh roaming around and 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 when the figure saw you made eye contact with you you got the plague at that yeah. point so people really thought there are there, there are lots of super stories like that i mean even just in, in superstition in general in, in ireland we've got the, the story of the banshee and if you hear the banshees cry that means you or someone you know will be stricken oh, okay. um, and, and you and, and you will die i think in Corsica there's a similar ghost story if you see this woman in white on the roads at night um it means you or someone you know will die right. um i think it's not surprising in such a superstitious age yeah um but I wonder if there's a link between. Uh, well, you, you said you, you know why it's called the Black Death. Then what was it? In uh, the it was a, well, I think in reference to the to the bubos. to the black uh, yeah, papules. The, yeah. Okay, okay. But I, I was, yeah, I was wondering if there was maybe a link to this Black Grim Reaper type well, figure. That would be more fun of an explanation, but maybe it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Bill and Ted go back to the Black Death and yeah. <laughs> and the Byzantine Empire. I um I think also some of that might be due to the sources. I mean, um, one of the sources of the Justinianic plague was John of Ephesus. And he he 
he recorded the plague in very religious terms, in apocalyptic terms. I'll probably speak about him in a moment. Um, as recently as the 1970s and 80s, the Justinianic plague it really got little attention from historians, and in recent years there's been renewed interest. Um, and this is kind of an aside. Um, new research such as that conducted by Monica Green, a historian of medieval medicine and the global history of infectious diseases, has raised questions about the relationship between climate and climate change and disease. Um, and it's this interesting kind of um, branch of history, uh, you could call it climate history, um, and it's it's playing an increasing role in, in, in defining uh, past global events. And I didn't know this uh, before I started researching this episode, but there were some massive volcanic explosions in the mid-6th uh, century common era, uh, coinciding with the... Um, the Justinianic plague, which kind of uh, contributed to this kind of uh, little ice age, a little similar to what happened in the at the beginning of the 19th century in 1816, the so-called year without a summer. Um, I think in the, the 500s, the volcano, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, Ilopango um, exploded uh, in Central America and there was a dust cloud. And it's just interesting, um, the relationship between climate and climate change and disease. Yeah. But it, it's, an, it's, another, it's another kind of um, topic. Yeah, plague was certainly associated with winter. Um, it was, uh, well, malaria was associated with the summer, the hot summer times. And then, yeah. uh, but the, the winter was said to, to bring the plague. So maybe there is something to this yeah. cold weather and the plague uh, connection. Um, the first textual reference we have to bubonic plague um, comes from the first century. Uh, there were accounts of it in Libya and Egypt. There's some third century archaeological evidence for people who died from plague in Kyrgyzstan. Kyrgyzstan. Oh, yeah. I'm really bad at pronouncing that. I, I apologize. I don't think we have any listeners from there, but if we do, I'm sorry. Um, but it first appeared as an epidemic in Egypt um, in 541 and then spread throughout the Mediterranean, reaching Constantinople in the spring of 542. And apparently the people of Constantinople were aware of plague for at least two years before it arrived in the city, but they made no provision because they did not consider it their problem, which is kind of prescient because, I mean, I think we can relate to that in our in our own current COVID situation. Yeah, and it's, it also happens in the, uh, the third plague pandemic, which I'll talk about later. Okay. Um, it arrived from Central Asia. Uh, it entered the Mediterranean, most likely via the Western Indian Ocean and the Red Sea. Like the Black Death, which followed it in 1348, the Justinianic Plague generally followed trading routes and was especially brutal to coastal cities. Uh, the movement of troops during the campaigns of Justinian, as we saw in the case of the uh, Antonine Plague um, in the reign of Marcus Aurelius, uh, provided another source for the plague expansion. Uh, and it was these two factors, trade and military movement, which spread the disease from Asia Minor to Africa and Italy and also to Western Europe. Um, and at the very end of this episode, I will mention the last documented outbreak of plague in France. Okay. okay. Uh, uh, 1720 there? More recent. That was more recent? I guess. Oh, um, probably like uh, if we don't have the Spanish flu, then uh, I don't know, somewhere around then, like I'm going to say turn of the 20th century. 1945. Oh, yeah. Nice. In Ajaccio, in Corsica. <laughs> and interestingly, that was uh, also um, due to uh, the movement of the the troops, the Allied troops, etc. So there is this kind of connection, even right up to the 20th century, of of uh, plague following kind of military uh yeah movements and things like that yeah and the rebellions are often um 
I mean, rebellion, if, you, if you're ruling a country, whether it's an empire or a smaller country, uh, rebellions are a huge concern, but uh, it's the secondary concern that you don't usually realize at the time is the the rebellion might you know bring about the plague or at least maybe there's a dormant plague that uh that a rebellion or some kind of military conflict can uh, help spread the plague again so, sort of like what happened with the plague the so-called plague of athens because in that case it wasn't bubonic plague as we discussed but in in, in order to i suppose defend from the spartans mm-hmm. they just created the you know the you know ideal conditions for an outbreak and an, uh, an, uh, an epidemic yeah um, the Justinianic plague, I kind of like visualizing the timeline, um, this kind of row of dominoes. It surfaced in Italy, Gaul, Syria, and Palestine in 543. From there, the contagion migrated to Persia, where it infected the Persian army and King Khosrow. King Khosrow was one of the most distinguished of the Sasanian kings, um, and he is sort of, as to, this, as to the Sasanian empire, um, he is what Caesar sort of is in the history of Rome, um, and after his death, the, the designation of Kusro carried on through his line the same way we we hail new um, new Caesars after after Caesar Caesar's death. Um, he was also called a new Cyrus. Um, so that caused the Persian army to retreat east of the Tigris to the plague-free highlands of Iran. Gregory of Tours related how Saint Gaul saved the people of Clermont-Ferrand in Gaul from the disease in 543, and the Justinianic plague also spread to Britain and to Ireland. Um, so one of my um, one of my listeners in Dublin, um, this is a shout out to Liam, uh, wrote to me, I think I, I several weeks ago, I think uh, I mentioned it in the last episode, and he, he said, when we think about, this is coming from kind of an Irish perspective, um, when we think about the Middle Ages or the medieval period, we don't often think of our own country. We, we tend to think of the, the, the court in London, the English court or the continental courts. Um, French courts, you know, but we, we, we don't yeah. think about we don't think about Ireland. So, and in fact, before researching this, I had thought of the Black Death in connection with Ireland uh, in the Middle Ages, but I hadn't ever really thought about the Justinianic plague and its connection to Ireland. And in fact, it did spread to Ireland um, as well. So, there you go, Liam. That's for you. Um, and we know that thanks to the Venerable Bede, or the so-called Father of English History, who was writing in the seventh and eighth century. Um, considered to be one of the important, most important scholars of, of antiquity um, at this time. According to most historians, uh, the Justinianic plague changed the course of the Byzantine Empire, um, ruining uh, Justinian's plans to bring the Roman Empire back together. Um, it caused massive economic struggle and contributed to the rise of Christianity, similar to the previous pandemics we discussed um, in the last episode. Um, Although Christianity was well established at this time, the plague encouraged Christian devotion. Um, and uh, interestingly, though, according to Procopius, who was maybe one of the more impartial sources of this plague, as opposed to John of Ephesus, the newfound Christian zeal of many people it only really lasted as long as the pestilence raged, which kind of reminds me of that, you know, famous adage: "There are no atheists in in foxholes." Oh yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they, it must have arrived. Uh, what it arrived by sea, and 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 then of course the port of Constantinople was must have been crucial for uh, for all economic activity. I mean, when you're a, a walled-in city with your port there as your only sort of uh, access to the outer world, it must have been terrible to have a a plague arrive via that main vein, uh, that main artery to the city. 
and then uh, and then of course have to have to shut it all down. I would imagine the uh, the eyewitness reports are crazy. I mean, they they didn't know what to do with the bodies, and they they ran out of burial pits. They couldn't keep up with the dead. They crammed them into towers, watchtowers, and just walled them in. And apparently, there was a terrible stench. Of course, yeah. And just really try to imagine your the alternative, right? Let's say you're living in Constantinople. Uh, you've been lucky enough that you you haven't been killed by the plague yet. Uh, it hasn't touched your family yet, but you know the plague mm. is spreading around the city. What are your options? You know, either you either you stay and and risk dying, or you get up and leave right now. I mean, which might not even be an option for everyone, but assuming it is an option for you, mm. that sounds pretty horrible too, right? Mm. Where are you gonna go? I mean, you don't. It's very highly unlikely that you have like a nice rich neighbor not too oh, far it's away. A, it's <laughs> a, it's. A, I'd say for the common person, it's an end of the world situation. I mean, it's the world is ending. History is ending. Uh, this is the sort of apocalypse and yeah uh, and john of ephesus he described he described the events in very apocalyptic terms and he talked about like you know avenging angels and these figures like the grim reaper he described galleons just adrift in the sea like whole crews died probably within two days just while out on a sea voyage and yeah just is kind of like allusions to this you know, kind of Marie Celeste, uh, phantom ship kind of, uh, yeah. you know. Probably imagery. contributed to the, the Grim Reaper illusion I made uh, before, yeah. too. There's probably, there's Grim Reapers in the city, there are Grim Reapers out on the sea. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of? Like, if you've ever read Dracula, or seen a movie probably, but if you've ever read Dracula, there's this, I think the best part of the novel is the, the you know, the opening chapters when the ship that's transporting Dracula, Count Dracula, is on its way from Varna, on the Black Sea coast, in fact, to Whitby, in England, and uh, I mean, it's 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 told through the captain's log, and sailors are disappearing, and the rats are disappearing, and there's a vampire essentially on the ship, and it kind of like it arrives as a ghost ship, you know, and it's yeah, that's uh, that's pretty awesome. You could probably make some parallels <laughs> between like whole vampire myths and, and pestilence, probably. Yeah, yeah, I think it, I mean it just makes for excellent uh, horror stories. Um, however. I think you alluded to it at the beginning. You you know there were there were populations of people who weren't as as badly affected as the Byzantines. Uh, the nomadic Berbers of Africa and the Arab peoples were not greatly affected. Um, in Italy, the Ostrogoths resumed uh, the war against the Byzantines. New ro- new revolts broke out in the previously subdued African provinces, um, and there were also renewed threats from the eastern barbarian tribes. The Islamic Rashidun Caliphate of Arabia, uh, which had long been contained by the Romans and the Sasanians, were largely unaffected. And the reasons for this probably have to do with the caliphate's relative isolation from major urban centers. Um, well, plus they're they're not infidels like the dirty Christians, right? So they have that advantage going for it. Well, it's from it's, it's from this period then that the Arabs gain gain momentum and gain force, and that'll later feed into their yeah into their successful conquest. Phenomenal of, golden yeah. age there, yeah, sure. So. <laughs> Pre-pandemic, let's just say in conclusion, the Mediterranean world had been relatively unified uh, by commerce, politics, religion, and culture. What emerged was a fractured trio of civilizations. Uh, You had the Islamic one in the eastern and southern Mediterranean basin, a Greek one in the northeastern Mediterranean, and a European one between the western Mediterranean and the North Sea. And this last civilization, which we now call medieval Europe, was defined by a new and distinctive economic system, feudalism. So there's arguments that this play contributed to the rise of feudalism, and as we'll see, there are also arguments that the Black Death uh, contributed to the to the to the, the decline, decline of feudalism, of, yeah. which is which is interesting. Yeah, and, and generally, all things said, I, like I said before, it, it's hard to quantify these things. But isn't wasn't the Black Death worse than the Justinian plague? Uh, all well, said and done, I think I think they have better 
numbers. Um, I think they have better numbers on. I, 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 right. I, I'm not. I'm not. One. I'm not sure. I think they have better numbers on the Black Death than the Justianic. A lot. A lot of that is speculation. They do tend to write of. Um, they do tend to write of the Black Death um, in the sense that Europe was overpopulated, um, and you had these. You know, you had so many uh, quote unquote peasants, and, and people talk about the death of all of these people as sort of. Malthusian checks, you know, basically population control, which benefited Europe in the long run, which is a very cold-blooded way of thinking about it. Um, yeah, very unfortunate for the people uh, at the time. And but the the Black Death, I think I read. Uh, I'm sure you'll tell more more about it um, soon. But I think I read it was up to like seventy percent of the population in Europe was killed during the Black Death. Is that right? Uh, the Black Death between anywhere between 75 to 200 million people um it's suggested um, okay i thought i read like of course the low estimates are only like 30 only 30 percent of people died which is like yeah. still a catastrophic but uh yeah you're talking a bit yeah anyway, yeah maybe and, and regionally perhaps maybe more were affected than others yeah that's yeah. probably talking about a third of the population of europe ha to half maybe max the okay. maximal boundary yeah well, that that 60 70 percent figure i read yeah. might be like Worst case scenario, most extreme. Fact is, nobody knows. Right? Nobody knows. Yeah, we're it's never going to know. Mm -hmm. um, so, all right. Well, let's let's talk about the Black Death. So, this is, I suppose, what all our listeners too are interested in. So, this constitutes the second plague pandemic. The one with the best name. The Black Death. The Black okay. Death. Yeah. Okay. So you had some marketing guys in the 17th century. Uh, yeah. Thank for that. <laughs> um, and the Black Death, though, had major re reoccurrences right up until the late 18th century. Um, as we'll see, it was the um, it was the same strain that contributed to the seventeen twenty, wasn't it? Um, uh, pandemic yes, in, in Marseille. Yeah, yeah. So the same strain, okay. Not the same strain as the Justinianic plague, but it was responsible for the reoccurrences. Um, and and when we say strain, we're talking about different strains of the Yersinia pestis, mm. right? Yeah. Okay. So Yersinia okay. pestis is the the uh, the bacteria that's the, responsible. The bacteria that is carried by fleas and then spread yeah. to people through uh, fleas, like sort of infecting rats, and then maybe the rats dying and the fleas spreading the disease to people at that point. Yeah. So. And there are other vectors too. Um, I think when there was an outbreak of plague in the United States at the beginning of the 20th century, um, I think uh, they, I, th I think prairie dogs um, and some kind of indigenous species to North America can also be vectors for, for plague. Um, and it was, it, was, it was after the second plague that a, a, a third strain, a new strain, a newer strain of the bacterium um, gave rise, like you said, to the third plague pandemic, um, right. which is the one that, that made its way across the Pacific to America as well. Right. I think it was the first it, outbreak of plague in America. It made it to, yeah. It, oh, it could have been uh, the first one in America, yeah. But the United it, States, I mean. But. In the U.S., yeah. It, it made, um, the third plague pandemic actually made it to every single continent, um, except for Antarctica. Mm. Yeah. It uh, arrived on the shores of... Uh, yeah, every every major continent, but it, it mostly killed people in um, India and China. Okay, um, so let's fast forward to the 14th century. Okay, uh, this has been described as like a golden age of bacteria, and um, it, it's when it's when the second large outbreak of bubonic plague, uh, also from Asia, traveled along the Silk Road and reached the Mediterranean. The epicenter is well known as having been Messina in Sicily, um, and the plague landed like Dracula's ship. Um, I forget the name of that vessel, anyway, in, in October 1347. Uh, and within five years, yeah, it would claim the lives of approximately one, 
third to one half of the total Europe pop- European population. That's 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 really crazy though. Like, yeah, I can't get over that. You know, I think. Yeah. Um, dead bodies were so prevalent that many remained rotting on the ground and created a constant stench in cities. And Giovanni Boccaccio, author of the Dick Marion, um, Renaissance writer, um, coeval with uh, Dante and Petrarch, he wrote, in those years, a dead man was then of no more account than a dead goat. Okay, although modern day accounts of the disease routinely focus on Europe, as I mentioned at the beginning, it also devastated the Near East. Populations in Asia and North Africa were also devastated. And its cause wasn't discovered until 1894 when Alexandre Yersin discovered the bacterium responsible, Yersinia pestis. Yersinia pestis. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important to remember though, when we think or talk about the Black Death, we are doing so with 600 years of hindsight. So yeah. Yeah, we have uh, we've had a lot of uh, years to think about this one. Yeah, I mean, so so our association uh, with rats and and, and, and fleas and, and things like that, I mean, would not have occurred to uh, the people living at this time. No, it it did occur to them during by the third one, right by the third plague pandemic. I did read that, but uh, yeah, before that, during um, the Justinian one and also the Black Death, it wasn't really a theme going on. But I just a small caveat to that, since antiquity people had uh this idea of miasma which you mentioned earlier so yeah do you know what miasma is can you explain the the unhealthy wind like unhealthy air yeah unhealthy sounds like i'm talking about uh you know people passing wind uh farting (laughs) yeah yeah unhealthy wind yeah like some bad gas after like a dirty burrito or something um no miasma was uh it was not related to burritos it was um (laughs) it was uh actually you know, usually fell into one of two categories, which uh, the first one was sort of marshes. People thought marshes were really dirty and nasty, which they kind of are. They're they're kind of like uh, covered in little uh, green moss and they're very humid and, and kind of unpleasant to walk around in. And of course, they carry malaria. People were very aware of uh, marshes spreading malaria in the summertime specifically. And the second category of miasma was pretty much rotting dead bodies. So not just uh, human dead bodies, but just putrefaction. uh, Yeah, just like a dead frog on the side of the road. It's like that's miasma that, you know, stay away from that or something like that. All right. So that's that's where it comes from. And people people knew that um, these were two situations where disease can thrive so okay um you mentioned uh, off mic before we started recording today that you wanted to discuss uh i suppose the what the religious um or superstitious elements that sort of went hand in hand with especially the first outbreak of the black death uh, like the the characteristic religiosity um, that was characterized at the time. Yeah, yeah, it goes back. Uh, I'm sure it's every single one has some kind of superstitious or religious aspect to it. Like the Antonine Plague, uh, they thought it was because what the soldiers in the Middle East opened up an old tomb and mm. immediately the uh, the plague, yeah. you know, sprang from the tomb. And, Pharaoh's and, and curse. Pra- yes, exactly. Yeah, Pharaoh's curse. Yeah, which happens. I'm sure that happens in the mummy as well. Going back to the mummy reference. Yeah, and there are there are always scapegoats too. Uh, I think at the time of the plague of Athens, it was the uh, Spartans, um, and then later during the Antonine Plague, the Christians and 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 we'll see during the Black Death too. I mean, the poor beggars, the clergy, the Catalans in Sicily who were massacred actually, um, the pogroms against the Jews in France and Switzerland, Spain and Germany. Um, 
these types of you know tragedies were characteristic of the first plague um, interestingly not fewer in the later plagues um, and these pogroms especially the ones uh, against the Jews were initiated um, by the height of society so perhaps it was kind of a, a devious way of acquiring their wealth I don't know I'm only speculating there but um, but medieval society it, I, I believe in the build-up to the Black Death so it, it's not only responsible for the, the Black Death the plague isn't responsible necessarily for for this kind of characteristic of medieval society but I think within the century leading up to it there was very kind of macabre um, sort of fascination um, by the societies of the time and we associate things like the dance of death the dance of macabre um, with the plague um, you know this culture of the macabre um, you know you have these cadaver tombs if you ever vi visit an old abbey uh, I know in Ireland there are, there are plenty or on the continent and the tomb um, is sculpted into a rotting putrefying body and it's sort of meant to say like as ye see me so shall ye be you know one day oh, um, very ominous and famously and this reminds me of this reminds me of uh, the walking dead um, is the case of the flagellants in Germany so this kind of rogue sect that used to just traverse the landscape um, flagellating themselves Oh yeah, just like whipping their own backs, whipping their own backs with like cats and nine tails. And eventually, I think the the Pope actually had to kind of distance um, distance. Yeah, you guys are weird. From them. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are pretty weird, and they were responsible, I think, for for some heinous doings. Um, it's all very eerie. It paints this very oh, I don't know, kind of creepy, otherworldly. I'm so glad I don't live at this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think uh, they couldn't explain nearly as much as we can, and uh, so they sought other other sources other explanations that tell you man walking walking dead reminds me of those is it whispers they 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 cut off walkers faces and they they wear the dead skin in order to blend in i mean it's creepy stuff it's mm, creepy it makes yeah. my skin crawl <laughs> um well the, the thing that fascinates me is uh that there were explanations coming from all angles on these plagues um not only i mean it's obvious it's pretty reasonable for the people to believe that the these plagues were punishments sent by the gods okay that's a good starting point um but they also believed of course they were praying you know they were playing they were praying every waking moment just you know please god stop the plague please god stop the plague um but they were also coming up with these stories uh i know in china i'll talk about later how um the gods actually weren't in agreement about it some gods believe that humans should be punished uh, for for being uh, for their sins, you know their their wrongdoings. Um, but other gods were arguing with the gods, saying with with their with their co gods, saying, uh, "No, you're being too harsh on the humans. We shouldn't we shouldn't send this bad of a plague. We'll send like a plague that's like not quite as bad as the one you were going to send." And so the the gods were arguing, and then some gods were taking the sides of humans. And uh, it's it's just amazing the stories they mm. came up with for yeah. these plagues. I think we um, I think we talked um about some of that previously where when after thucydides and uh, procopius in late antiquity in this period was a little more kind of in the vein of thucydides but historians then started to think of sin as this kind of causal factor of history you know so yeah your sin our you know collective sins have sort of justified this this plague and you know you've got the likes of john of ephesus and a lot of historians of this time and they're largely um, monks or you know, religious scholars who are recording these these kind of accounts of plague. 
So yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and even even to this day, I think uh, I, I mean I've heard I've read that Christians and Muslims will say um, God sent AIDS to to yeah. planet Earth to punish the gays. You know, but even to this day, people believe that. So I think these these things uh, will always be around. It's horrible that too. But, you know, I always think it's it's so unfortunate that you know um, I suppose um, homosexuals attracted um, or what's the word? Not attracted. Um, they uh, yeah, they're susceptible they, to. They were they were they were so susceptible early on to 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 HIV because yeah, it really fed into these uh, horrible you know homophobic kind of uh, narratives that it was a plague sent by God. Anyway yeah not to get off tangent but yeah, just to just to uh, yeah just to say that um you know these things uh these explanations uh continue to today it's not like oh the people of the past are so silly and superstitious mm. it's mm. like no we're we're mm. very silly and superstitious too. yeah i think <laughs> i touched wood earlier <laughs> yeah um interestingly though in the past where we saw um the pandemics sort of helped spread the rise of christianity uh some argue that the crisis of faith um during the black death like you said i mean why would God? Why would God do this to us? It um, it kind of turned uh, people away from fate and eventually focused them on the human experience rather than the divine plan. And uh, this is what found expression in the Renaissance. Um, this kind of more humanistic view of the world. So I think that's interesting. Obviously, the plague. Um, led to some or contributed to some paradigm shifts i mean there were big changes in medieval society um maybe we can just think about i mean like what happened to all these you know various places by the time the pandemic had burned out in the early 1350s a distinctly modern world emerged one defined by free labor technological innovation and a growing middle class some societies recovered relatively quickly from their losses um caused by the black death others never did for example medieval egypt could not fully recover from the cumulative effects of the pandemic, which particularly devastated its agricultural sector. And this led to the gradual decline of the Mamluk Sultanate and its conquest by the Ottomans within less than two centuries. Obviously, the Byzantine Empire is no more at this stage, and we have the Ottoman Empire in its stead. Um, England and France were so incapacitated by the plague that the countries called a truce to their 100 years war. Wow, that says a lot. <laughs> that says a lot. Um, records from England describe untilled fields, vacant villages, and untended livestock roaming an empty countryside. Um, at the time, Western Europe had been overpopulated. It was a feudal society. There was cheap labor, little social mobility after the plague, and its massive loss of life. Uh, there were labor shortages that gave peasants more bargaining power. And in fact, there was a wave of, of peasant revolts um in western europe and particularly in england um and you know there's just kind of new popular spirit you know setting out to right worldly wrongs the most famous example i think is the english peasant revolt of 1381 mm. um where about thirty thousand rural labor laborers stormed london um with demands and they they killed the archbishop of canterbury and they were they were they were treacherously dealt with in the end i mean they didn't get their demands weren't really met but um just this indication of this kind of populist kind of feeling in, in the late uh, 14th century. Well, yeah, that reminds me of both, uh, again, drawing a line to today, reminds me of uh, George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, mm. Black Lives Matter riots, as well as the, uh, the January 6th mm. uh, storming of the mm. Capitol by the Trump supporters. So. I'm actually watching on, um, on Disney um, this new series, part of the Marvel franchise. It's the, um, oh, 
I can't even think of the title. It's the Winter Soldier and what's Captain America's sidekick called? The guy, the Hawk, the Falcon, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Okay. It's pretty good, but it all plays out after, I don't know if you're familiar with the Marvel Universe, but the blip, you know, when like half of all living things disappeared for a period of five years. Oh, I didn't know that. No? Okay, well, this is a bit of a Marvel geek. Okay. So, yeah, basically, anyway, the villain clicked his fingers and half of the universe just disappeared. Oh, wow. And it's set in this world, however, where I guess it's it's kind of a commentary on immigration, where all these people have returned, you know. But But can you imagine a world where... I mean, in the course of five years, half of the population of a continent disappears and uh, and then you're trying to reconstruct that world, that society. I mean, what are the decades, the subsequent decades like? I mean, that's... yeah. Yeah. Imagine dying in the plague. And then, you know, 500 years later, there's some historian who's like, well, uh, your death led to some very important uh, social changes and some development. It's like, dude, screw you. I died. <laughs> I mean, we're all going to share a bond sort of uh, after having lived through, you know, this period of history, you know, 2020, 2021. After we're all vaccinated, we're all 10 years from now. We're going to be like, where were you when, you know, where, where did you where did you lock down? Where did you quarantine? You know? Yeah. Can you imagine what that must have felt like um, among the surviving European, well, Europeans? I mean, we're, like I said, we're fo- we're too focused perhaps on Europe, but just any anyone who survived the Black Death, you know. Just. Yeah, and and I wonder if uh, if coronavirus was killing half killing off half the people you know, would you w- would there still be anti-vax mm. people out there? <laughs> what would it what would it take for everyone to be like, okay, give me the vaccine? Can I just? Um, if you don't mind, Tim, just for Liam, our listener, can I just um, outline uh, what was going on in Ireland in the early days of August 1348? You sure can. Um, so um, the the main source for the Black Death in Ireland is a guy called Friar John Clinn, who is a Kilkenny-based, you know the beer Kilkenny, don't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> a Kilkenny-based Franciscan monk. And his record is virtually the, the sole eyewitness account. Um, he may have died of the Black Death himself. His uh, plague record was left unfinished. And interestingly, curiously, he may have visited Marseille um, two years before. For anyway, anyway, it's kind of an aside. Um, the plague, it is argued, reached Ireland from Bristol and landed on Irish shores at either Hoth or Dawkey, which are two fishing ports north and south of Dublin, respectively. And it traveled... Uh, Travelled uh, to Drogheda, also another port on the on the east coast of Ireland. Um, others say, and probably both were the case. It travelled from the region of Bordeaux, where there was extensive sort of Atlantic trade, and uh, to the Irish ports on the south coast, Waterford, Yall, and Cork. Um, the Anglo-Irish colony was affected more extensively and radically than Gaelic Ireland. And the main reason for this disparity was that Anglo-Irish settlements. Uh, so the English-Irish settlements, were more vulnerable to rats and fleas. The Anglo-Norman colonists were mostly concentrated in well-drained, low-lying land, which were ideal conditions for the transmission of plague, leaving the mountainous, hilly, and less accessible areas to the the Gaelic-Irish, whose settlements were mainly pastoral and scattered, um, either in rural settlements or individual farmsteads. Um, And a source of the time, a guy called Geoffrey Le Baker, Jeffrey the Baker, um, a contemporary English chronicler, he wrote that the plague in Ireland killed the English inhabitants there in great numbers, but the native Irish living in the mountains and uplands were scarcely touched. Though he adds that in a later outbreak in 1357, the plague took the Gaelic Irish unawares and annihilated them everywhere. 
and both pneumonic and bubonic strains of the plague were present in Ireland and in coastal settlements there was 40 to 50 percent um, mortality I th and I think just across the water in England uh, Bristol another coastal city um, was decimated I think half the population of Bristol died so you're talking about a 50 percent uh, mortality rate so you said the uh, it may have arrived through cork is that correct um the yeah the, well the southern or eastern ports uh, and it it, it, it ravaged it, the coastal settlements more than the um the inland settlements in fact the first towns in ireland were, were really created by the vikings um the only thing resembling towns in ireland before the vikings were were built up around um, monastic settlements cork i think was a monastic settlement originally so there were very few towns um in Ireland, people did live in these kind of like tribal, rural farmsteads, this kind of, you know, um, not in these nucleated um, kind of settlements. Okay. Um, anyway, there were, there were a lot of subsequent outbreaks. They, they had a significant and lasting effect in, 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 in Ireland. Um, and by the, and, it, and, and it, some of these effects took a very long time to, to recover from. I think in the 16th century, so what you're talking 200 years later um in dublin uh population was estimated at 8000 8000 people I mean, tiny there are some high schools you know, with more <laughs> more students yeah. um um i'll just end that note uh, that little aside for liam there just with a quotation from maria kelly who's a who's a scholar associated with uh, i think university college cork in fact um and she uh, writes that the recurrence of the plague was the single most significant effect of the Black Death. Um, the long-term result was crisis mortality, lower fertility, and had a profound effect on slowing population recovery. Uh, whereas there was some demographic recovery in the earlier decades of the 16th century in Europe, this did not happen until the 17th century in Ireland, thanks to the continuation of warfare, the frontier conditions of colonial life in Ireland, and recurring outbreaks of plague and the, the Gaelic uh, chieftains and uh, they use they use this period they use the, the weakness of the Anglo um, Irish colony to um, actually push back and uh, I think the Norman settlement suffered a setback during these years it was sort of like a Gaelic revival um, of power awesome yeah I was, I was gonna make a, a pun about Cork but I was too disgusted with myself to make it um, what was the pun uh, I guess uh, they weren't able to put a cork in it oh god <laughs> <laughs> So Tim, I'm I'm conscious that what I've been talking about is very Eurocentric, and um, perhaps you can you can shift the focus somewhat and tell us a little bit about the third and final plague pandemic, uh, because I believe that was more predominant in South and the East Asia. Am I right? Uh, yeah, that's correct. Um, but also, just to be, before I talk about the third plague pandemic. Um, just to let the viewers, uh, the listeners rather, know that um, the Black Death was not at all isolated to Europe. Maybe you're already aware of this, but if you're not, um, it's you know one one of the origins, one of the suspected origins of the Black Death was the uh, the Golden Horde, which was uh, one of the sort of mini empires that um, came about after the death of uh, Genghis Khan or uh, or Chinggis Khan, depending on which pronunciation you want you prefer. Um, and the Golden Horde is in like uh, what modern day sort of uh, Western Russia, 
Um, and uh, it, it is said to have perhaps originated there and spread to Europe, but it also spread to, uh, well, you did, you did mention the Black Death was, it, it was in the Middle East, but not as bad for the Middle Easterners, right? Uh, pretty bad for the Persians, less bad for the, um, for the, the Arab, Arab Caliphate, but uh, the Persian Empire, again, was like the Byzantine Empire, was very urban, urbane, uh, cosmopolitan kind of society. So, I mean, it would have been susceptible to any kind of pandemic. Well, the the Black Death did spread to China as well. Um, spread to China, and uh, I would imagine India, maybe not. But uh, I mean, if it's in Persia, it's in China. It's probably not too far fetched to to think that it might have made it to India. Um, but in any case, it it was hypothesized. It has been hypothesized that the Black Death. So, still talking about the second pandemic here, um, the second plague. Uh, it has been asserted by historians that it, it came from China, um, although that's probably not true. I think uh, the only uh, it's, a, it's a minority. You're uh, talking about the third plague no, pandemic. No, the second. The one. second. Yeah, this, it, yeah. It has been asserted by by some historians, but I think the majority of historians think that's probably not the case. However, it, there's no question that the Black Death made it to China and ravaged the Chinese population. That is confirmed. Um, so this third plague played this third plague pandemic that I'm about to talk about is definitely not the first uh, to hit China. Um, and even though the third plague pandemic is usually talked about um, with a Chinese lens, it actually ended up killing much more Indians than it did Chinese. Uh, it killed probably 10 million Indians, which is like just terrible. You know, it's tragic. Um, and But it, it probably killed anywhere from two to five million Chinese. And then um, as I'll talk about later, it, it did spread. It, it did eventually make it to every continent. It just wasn't a bad oh. plague on all the continents. And what's the time frame we're, we're talking about here? So the beginning of the third plague pandemic was probably around uh, 1730s, 1740s in Yunnan. Um, although I, I have read that uh, it, some historians argue that it started later. I, I doubt that. Like I said in, the, in previous podcasts, uh, historians, for me, they, they, uh, they tend to uh, underestimate how old things are, I, I think, as a general rule. Um, the evidence that I've seen that I've read is that, um, you know, there, there were, um, there was a Chinese poet in Yunnan, in the Yunnan province who uh, succumbed to the plague in the 1760s. Um, and he was already writing about it in the 1760s. So I doubt, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think it was, um, some other plague or some other disease he was writing about. I think it's just that plagues, plagues don't, don't move as fast as coronavirus. Um, but yeah, the time frame is roughly, let's say, early mid 18th century to uh up until today the, the well there was officially the third plague pandemic was officially declared inactive in the 1960s uh, i think 1960 actually uh but it is there are still every year there's a, at least a few cases discovered uh mostly in asia um i think perhaps only in asia actually of this uh yersinia pestis um, plague which continues but it, again just a few cases a year is is far from being considered a, a plague pandemic mm. um anyway so the in in yunnan uh like i said it is the the origin of the disease um there was uh yunnan i've actually been to yunnan have you i know you lived in china have you been to yunnan i haven't actually been to yunnan no i lived in beijing for one year and i lived in chengdu for for another year okay yeah, Yunnan is really interesting because it's near, it's down near uh, Vietnam and mm. uh, Burma, mm. and it's a really pretty kind of mountainous um, tropical area 
with uh but actually surprisingly nice weather it's it's not like scorching hot humid weather that you can get in uh, like beijing in the summer i've mm. heard it's horrible uh um in some areas of china but uh you know it's it's mountainous uh, and it has uh the people from yunnan are not han chinese historically they're uh they're local sort of indigenous people that um they've only recently learned chinese and been assimilated into the into the chinese uh, greater population um, they have they have different dress and they yeah. have different culture, different uh, I have, traditions. I have this wonderful book at home, and I think it, it's a photographic book compendium. It has photographs of I think like fifty different Chinese ethnicities. You know, yeah, and the Han Han Chinese obviously is the dominant one. You know, yeah. I think like eighty five percent of Chinese are Han it's Chinese. It's enormous. But, yeah, yeah. Mm. but yeah, this so the people of Yunnan. I think there's there's more than one um, sort of tribe or cultural group there. There are many, um, but they share a lot in common, of course. Um, but anyway, so the plague showed up there. No one's really sure exactly where it came from. It, it may have originated in Yunnan or, or come in through possibly India or, or Tibet, maybe who knows. Um, but it, uh, by the, by the mid 18th century there, they had a, unfortunately a little pandemic going there, a little plague pandemic, um, where it was starting to kill in the thousands. Um, and then there was, a towards the end of the 18th century, uh, there was a rebellion which there were rebellions all the time. The the Chinese state, the Ming and the Qing, um, which uh, of course that's like let's say the last five hundred years of China before the before uh, Mao took over, uh, the Ming Dynasty and then the Qing Dynasty were ruling over China, but they didn't have um, they they weren't they they were trying to rule with an iron fist, but they the central authority was fairly weak in China, um, and so there were rebellions all the time all over China. And uh, it just so happens that one of the rebellions, which which happened uh, in northern Yunnan in the late 18th century, helped kind of um, pick up the plague's pace and uh, allowed it to spread down, uh, along with trade as well. You know, you see in the in the early 18th century that um, trade globalization uh, facilitated the spread of disease. So um, these two factors, uh, unfortunately, led to the plague spreading down into um, sort of more populated areas of southern China, specifically the Pearl River Delta, uh, which is where uh, Macau and Hong Kong mm. and Canton are, these big port cities of southern China. And uh, once it made it to those uh, big port cities, those major population areas, uh, that's where, unfortunately, the plague uh, really took off. So as I said, uh, these plagues, are, are they don't spread as fast as coronavirus. Um, it took 60 years for the plague to go from Yunnan uh, eventually to these uh, more populated areas. Um, and it wasn't until it reached Hong Kong, actually, there were, that there was any kind of organized response. Uh, the British recognized the disease in the 1890s in Hong Kong, and they knew that uh, isolation was key. And in fact, isolation was the only weapon we really had um, ag against plague. Uh, the remedies or, you know, they, they, I think the, the most common remedy for this pl particular plague was alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> so just give him a bunch of booze. I mean, he's going to die anyway. Uh, so in terms of treatment, there was very, very little treatment. Very little uh, medication would do anything at all. It was really more to do with uh, just pure dumb luck. You know, how big of a dose did you get? And are you in good shape? Are you young? Um, those things helped your chances of survival, but it was all seemingly random to them. Um, so isolation was key, and the British did a hell of a job. You got to hand it to them. Um, I know we probably have a lot of Irish listeners, uh, but the That's all right. <laughs> the Brits did a, a fine job in Hong Kong because they had uh, tens of thousands of cases 
1894 in Hong Kong of this plague, and uh, in 1895 they they were down to less than 200 cases. Mm. So they they chopped the the number of cases by like 90 uh, percent or something in one year by just by purely identifying patients, isolating them, and uh, and and isolating the people close to them. So yeah, so they they did a hell of a job um, stopping the plague in its tracks. But the plague would last in Hong Kong um, at least a few cases a year continued until. Uh, 1929 um and so this plague uh of course it, it ravaged southern china there was no sort of organized response at all from the central government um and th- which might sound like they're heartless or something but it's not really the case it's just that they had way more pressing matters that they were concerned with like for example losing power to rebels you know it's kind of when you have an existential threat to your government well the chinese um, empire was crumbling at this stage i think it was soon to be in its death throes exactly yeah the Qing were on their way out yeah, yeah, yeah. so they had much more pressing matters to attend to um and uh so the plague ended up of course ravaging southern china killing uh killing hundreds of hundreds of thousands and eventually uh, millions um but like i said the the most uh unfortunately the most death was in india where 10 million people died um but we see in this, uh, I guess, is this, maybe you know more about this than I do. Is this the first time in history where a plague left a port in one particular region of the world and ended up spreading to every single continent? Is this is that possible? Um, or is, is that, on, is honest, that honestly, I don't know. All I know is that today, uh, plague is found in all continents except Oceania, apparently. Um, but most human cases since the 90s have occurred in Africa. So, I don't know, but like you, you mentioned the, um, you mentioned globalization, nineteenth-century globalization, the, the explosion of, you know, uh, traffic, you know, sail traffic, uh, steam, steam traffic, rail, railways. I mean, globalization obviously um, facilitated facilitated this on on a level that hitherto hadn't hadn't been you know been witnessed. Yeah. In the in this uh, so this third this third pandemic plague has a sort of part two to it. Um, in nineteen ten, it's probably uh, unrelated, but um, at the same time, uh, a pneumonic plague appeared in Manchuria, which is like a far northeastern China near uh, near eastern Russia and, and Mongolia. But that one, the Chinese were really on the ball in that one because maybe because it was closer to Beijing, a little closer to the capital. Maybe the bureaucrats were a little bit more concerned about it. I don't know. I'm just uh, just uh, this is just conjecture but um they w- what's for sure is that the the chinese locked down manchuria uh people were not allowed to travel outside of manchuria um and only only a few cases made it to to beijing um so that that pneumonic plague and pneumonic plagues are scary because they can spread i think you said uh through breath through uh, droplets uh, right. it becomes airborne yeah and we could spread yeah. it to each other yeah. if we had it uh, in the room so um but that was the Chinese did a great job of locking that down. So it, it, by by nineteen eleven, the plague was over. So you can say they did an even better job uh, against that plague than it we've is, done against coronavirus. It, it is interesting, though. Manchuria was the royal family's base, you know, of power. Right. That was their that was their home province. Right. Yeah. Um. Today, bubonic plague can be easily treated with antibiotics and the use of standard preventative measures. Um. Democratic Republic of Congo, the DRC, Madagascar, and Peru are the three most endemic countries. In the U.S., plague is, well, like Tim has suggested, likely existed since the 1900 outbreak in San Francisco. 
And I think I mentioned how squirrels and prairie dogs can and do transmit plague to humans. Even in the 21st century, today, plague remains a serious disease. We make light of it, but it's still a serious disease. Between August and November 2017, a plague outbreak in Madagascar led to about 2,500 infections and over 200 deaths. Antibiotic treatment is extremely effective against the plague, but when the disease isn't diagnosed or antibiotics aren't available, it can still be very fatal, just as it was um, during these times that we've discussed. And the emergence of antibiotic-resistant strains of Yersinia pestis, uh, the infectious agent of plague, is raising serious concerns from public health and was a, was a problem encountered, as I said, in Corsica in 1945. So, maybe... To be continued one day. I hope not. Sincerely. Yeah, it could be if we don't keep creating uh, better and better antibiotics. I think. I, yeah. Another topic. Yeah, I think. I think one of our dangers, our our our, our main danger is from viruses, probably at this point in time. But yeah, the antibiotic-resistant strains of bacteria are scary. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. What if one day we were to, you know, be kind of against our will, thrown back into a time where we have left less or fewer defenses against against pandemics mm. and so if you're against vaccines you're an anti-vaxxer what if you're against antibiotics what are you <laughs> an anti-antibiotic antibiotic I, I don't know <laughs> you're an idiot <laughs> um yeah i can't think of a more anachronistic way to die than either being consumed living by an animal this is just one of my weird this is one of my terrible nightmarish fears <laughs> do you ever see these like viral videos of like an alligator or a crocodile that's been captured by a local tribes people and they cut it open and they pull out a human head yeah that yeah. is one of my major fears being actually consumed the indignity of yeah. it even though it's natural by an animal knowing that i've eaten so many in my life and also dying of plague yeah. you know that would be that would be up there too yeah for me it's like sharks i think that's my like getting eaten by a shark must be terrible jesus <laughs> 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 but uh plagues yeah plagues are scary because they you know you just uh it's invisible and uh and, and it comes and it sweeps across the city it's uh i, I admit I w did you panic at all did you have any panic attacks at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic i, I wouldn't say i had a panic attacks but i remember reading the news and just being like i can't read anymore and i'm just uh my my brain is yeah. running wild and i don't think i had any panic attacks however I noticed maybe over the course of the last year a slowly building up of anxiety, you know, and, you know, it kind of manifests itself in kind of weird ways. Um, I think what scared me was I had a moment at the beginning of the of the panic, the general kind of panic around COVID-19 when we were first locking down and it was it was a new thing, saying to myself, God, if this were to be more fatal like something on the scale of the Black Death or something, we are dead. Despite our technology, despite our vast communication networks and our faith in science, we would still, um, there would still be a heavy toll to pay. I mean, you know, we may recover more quickly than in the 1340s. However, I think we would be devastated as well. I think we have maybe a little too much confidence in our, our modern superiority but the death of anthony blackwell led to the uh <laughs> <laughs> decline of the european you know yeah, yeah, yeah. which uh, was a good thing because uh, it led to the invention of it's like <laughs> led to the decline of the polemical history podcast yeah <laughs> now it's the timothy show yeah <laughs> all right well uh thanks for listening uh this was the polemical history podcast with tim rudy and 
Anthony Blackwell. <laughs> Anthony, I, th- I noticed at the beginning of the podcast you said... My name's too long. You Anthony Blackwell. Blackwell. I, Blackwell. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was wondering, should we uh, redo that? Yeah, maybe say it again now. Say Anthony Blackwell now. Oh. I know. I kind of I like it. Maybe it's my little kind of uh, stroke of penmanship. It's my little flourish at the end of my signature. <laughs> Blackwell. Anthony Blackwell. Um, my oh. name's too long for a podcast, though. You got a nice short one, Tim Rudy. Tim Rudy, yeah. I'm like, Anthony Blackwell. It's like, Jesus, <laughs> how many syllables can you... Anyway... Um, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, thanks for listening. Our handles are at PolemicalCast on Instagram and Twitter. Um, we have only two Twitter followers, so <laughs> please follow us on Twitter. <laughs> That's me and Tim. <laughs> That's me and you, yeah. Um, so the um, Polemical is P-O-L-E-M-I-C-A-L. And we promise to actually be more polemical in the future. Yeah, yeah. we're going to talk about race and religion. and uh, We're working on it. Yeah. But we're we're not going to talk about Nazis too much, right? Just once or twice, <laughs> <Yeah>. again. <laughs> All right. Thank you, and uh, see you next time. All right. Okay. Let's let's proceed to the epilogue stage of our of this of this month's uh, episode so there are this this is such an interesting topic there are so many subsequent uh, famous subsequent outbreaks i mean there's a great plague of london there is even uh, the moscow or, or russian plague in the late 18th century which you know unfortunately we don't have time to cover to cover um there is the 1720 um pandemic in marseille and, and, and france the last pandemic in, in western europe and uh, there's a series of, 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 of other outbreaks that we wish to discuss. And, and Tim is, uh, is excited to, to discuss uh, the third plague pandemic. So just a few quick words maybe about the Great Plague of London. Because there's this um, misconception that the, the Great Fire of London um, cured the city, so to speak, of the plague. Uh, which is, is actually kind of a, a mistaken and false um, popular belief. So in a devastating later appearance, the bubonic plague led to the deaths of 20% of London's population. So we're talking 1665, 1666 here, uh, when over 18 months, the city lost 100,000 people, which was nearly a quarter of its population at the time. Um, This great plague was not an isolated event. Uh, 40,000 Londoners had died of the plague in 1625, but it was the last and worst of the epidemics. And that's why it got the name the Great Plague. It wasn't the only plague. It began in London's suburb of St. Giles in the fields, and the greatest devastation remained in the city's outskirts where the poor were densely crowded. So one of the contributing factors, it's assumed, was poor sanitation. And it's uh, at this time that we get the nursery rhyme, Ring a Ring of Roses, or Ring Around the Rosies. Do you know that one? Yeah, we always say Ring Around the Rosie in America. Mm. But uh, I know, uh, well, I don't know about the Irish. I think the, the Brits don't really say the word around. They say round usually mm-hmm. but you but you have ring ring a ring a rosy yeah. i've never heard of that no ring a ring of roses or no. ring around the rosy the rosy was the malodorous rash that developed on the skin of bubonic plague sufferers oh that makes sense yeah. and the stench of which needed uh, concealing um with a pocket full of posies or flowers um and then the subsequent line is a tissue a tissue we all fall down mm. dead yeah, like like most kids, I assumed it was just kids like holding hands around a rose bush and like yeah, <laughs> dancing just something around. Like, oh, that, that's sweet. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's like that with a lot of these nursery rhymes or fairy tales too. I mean, there's always a dark uh, message yeah. or origin. Um, from London, the disease spread widely over the country, 
but from 1667 on there was no epidemic of plague in any part of England. The disappearance of plague, like I said, has been attributed to the Great Fire, which occurred in September 1606 when a baker named Thomas Farriner unwittingly uh, started it in his uh, bakery. Um, but the plague, it's also recorded as having subsided in other cities without the cause of the fire. Um, historians don't really know why the Great Plague ended at this time, um, but they agree that it was it was spontaneous. Some people have said that the decline has, you know, what, what's responsible for the decline has been, you know, the successful quarantine measures, but effective quarantine was actually not established until 1720 in Marseille, um, which we might mention uh, shortly. Yeah. This is the time for listeners, if you just want to put into context of Samuel Pepys, uh, his diary records the uh, the plague, um, the Great Plague of London, also the Great Fire of London. Um, many of his anecdotes would be easily recognizable to any one of you, um, you know, living under quarantine measures against COVID-19. Daniel Defoe's A Journal of the Plague Year, not strictly speaking a first-hand record. It was, it was, it was published more than 50 years after the events it describes. But it was it's a fateful kind of document um, describing the effects of the plague um, that ravaged London when Defoe himself was about five years old. Um, and this is also, strangely, um, the uh, year of wonders, the Annus Mirabilis um, of the scientific revolution when Isaac Newton left Cambridge and went to a, a little hamlet called Woolsthorpe and where he developed his theories on calculus, optics and the laws of motion, motion and universal gravitation. So it's strange how you have the, the Great Fire of London, the Great Plague of London, and at the same time you have Newton um, having his uh, Year of Wonders at the same time. You know, So on the one hand you've got this terrible tragedy and on the other hand we've got this great legacy of, of, of science. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's a big foundation of where revisionist history comes from you know like oh the the mongols may have raped and pillaged uh, millions across central asia but it led to the pax uh, mongolia which uh, but we got the stirrup <laughs> exactly, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh anthony we've been living in marseille for uh long time now well i've been living here for nine years what are you this seven eight years um 2015 um six 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 years in marseille and uh well friul have you been to friul yeah yeah several times the islands off the uh coast of the port you mean yeah yeah friul is a nice um it's like a dual island uh it's kind of two friul islands archipelago yeah i see where you're going with this yeah yeah it's a uh, well. You can if you come to Marseille, you can you can visit Friul, um, and then uh, so the, sh- the Chateau d'If. Huh? Chateau d'If, yeah. So the the two the two islands you'll immediately see if you look uh, out to sea from Marseille are are Friul, but you'll also you must notice Chateau d'If, which is much smaller than Friul, but it's uh it's it's very distinguished by its uh, sort of fort. It's like the whole, the whole island is like a big fort, right? And yeah, that's so, where Edmond Dantes was fictionally imprisoned in. in the, uh, uh, Count of Monte, <laughs> the, count, the Count of Monte Cristo. The Count of Monte Cristo. That's right. Yeah. Uh, in the beginning of the book. Alexandre Dumas. Right? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. If you go to Friul, you'll see um, a little old-style uh, hospital there, like a, what looks like a little clinic. Um, and apparently, that's where they kept all the dead or the dying, sort of the infected and the dying, and uh, and the, the the patients that needed to be quarantined uh, were shipped off to. To free old, did you know that? 
Yeah, they. I, I believe that type of station um, offshore was was known uh, at the time as a lazaretto or a lazare. Um, so yeah, it was a quarantine station, and it was around this time, like I said, that they began to perfect the quarantining measures. Although we'll see, it was just a complete blunder that enabled the outbreak of plague at this time, and they had been successful at preventing um, previous outbreaks and future subsequently outbreaks. But the plague of Marseille, the Great Plague of Marseille um, of 1720 to 1723 um, occurred, yeah, exactly three centuries ago. It was the last major outbreak of bubonic plague in Western Europe. Um, there had been others, of course. Um, it was the same variant as the 14th century. Um, the, the host, the source is unknown. It's a strain, though, that uh, scientists believe is no longer circulating. Um, I read a statistic um, that I have doubts about, but it was a credible website um, associated with uh, the Department of Health. But it suggested that plague had struck Marseille 22 times since its founding. And Marseille, as we know, is a very, very old city. It's older than Paris. Um, but anyway, so it's you know, it kind of puts things into perspective. It's, um, it's somewhat believable as a, as a port city, I suppose. Um, so in 1720, Yersinia Pestis arrived at the port of Marseille from the Levant um, on the merchant ship, the Grand Saint-Antoine. And uh, the vessel had departed from uh, Sidon in Lebanon, uh, having previously called it Smyrna and plague-ridden Cyprus. So contracted Yersinia Pestis in Cyprus. A Turkish passenger was the first to be infected, and soon died, followed by several crew members and ship's surgeon, and the ship was refused entry to the port of Livorno in Italy. Um, we'll see how it arrived in France and how it got a foothold. Um, powerful city merchants, upon arrival in Marseille, wanted its cargo of silk and cotton for the great medieval fair at Beaucaire and uh, pressed authorities to lift a quarantine. So here we can see this kind of prioritization of politics and economics um, led to uh, sort of the outbreak. Um, it was sort of needless because quarantine measures were sufficient. Um, I, I forget the exact number of days or, you know, stations they had to dock at before being allowed to reach the city, but there were, there were several steps involved, in fact. Um, uh, I mean, it was dreadful. Uh, the descriptions of Marseille at this time are uh, analogous to those we have of the 14th century. I mean, it's horrible. Like an act of parliament uh, levied a death penalty for any communication between Marseille and the rest of Provence. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that? We're, we're talking today about a 10-kilometer uh, limit, and you might, you, you'll, you'll be fined if you, if you leave it without an attestation. But I mean, like, you, 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 they would kill you I mean, for leaving Marseille. And in fact, if you if you go into the countryside, for anyone familiar with the south of France or anyone who visits France or you know on a vacation or whatever, the Luberon, this lovely area, Provence, um, there are remnants of a plague wall uh, in the Vaucluse around the Luberon, and you can walk. I've, I've hiked along it. You know, it's a wall that was built with interspersed watchtowers to prevent the inhabitants of Marseille and the surrounding country from extending and fleeing into other parts of France and bringing the plague with them. So when we talk about you can you can flee a plague, I mean, what do you do if you're living in Constantinople um, at this time, you know, by Byzantium at this time, and you, and you want to pick up and leave? I mean, are you even allowed to leave? You will be prevented at the pain of death. Um, 
the hero of this period was a guy called Nicolas Rose, um, and he was also mentioned by Victor Hugo in Les Miserables. He, uh, he had experience dealing with pandemics uh, like this from his time in Athens. He came from a, a big merchant uh, slash carpentry family, um, and he took a leadership role um, and uh, is, 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 is celebrated for his, uh, for his endeavors in Marseille. Um, over a two-year period, 50% of Marseille's total population of 90,000 died. So again, 50%, more than 50%. And a quarter of the population of Provence died. Um, in 1978, the Grand Saint-Antoine de Ship was recovered. It was restored in 2012. You can see it if you come to Marseille in the Museum of History. Um, Marseille uh, University Hospital Institute is an institution today entirely devoted to infectious and tropical diseases. It was officially opened in 2017. So there's a, there is kind of a big connection between Marseille and um, infectious diseases. Uh, if you uh, search online or if you visit any of the art galleries here in Marseille, if you come, there are some remarkable canvases painted um, during the Great Plague of Marseille by a guy called, an artist called Michel Serre, who was a direct witness of the events. And this is uncanny. I think we talked about this before. I mean, on my way over here to the studio, I, um, <laughs> it doesn't sound very impressive, but I scoot. <laughs> I, I, I scoot along this road. I scoot along the canvas that he has depicted, the, the plague and the piled up dead bodies in the square. And every time I pass this intersection, I imagine myself riding through, so to speak, this canvas and you know, just just trying to re recreate in my mind's eye all of these bodies. You know, um, it's uh, it's it's shocking. Um, I recommend you you Google those images. Michel Serre, S E R R E. Um, one of the most popular saints in this region is Saint Rock, and he is the patron saint evoked against the plague. So maybe there's no surprise that he's the popular saint of these parts. Hmm. Um, the last cases of plague in Marseille occurred during the epidemic of 1919. I think you mentioned that at the beginning of the episode in 1920. Um, there was plague struck Paris in 1920. Uh, the last epidemic of plague in France occurred, as I said, in, um, in Ajaccio and Corsica in 1945, just after the war or in the final days of the war. Um, the first victim was a 15-year-old girl. Um, and it was the first case in Ajaccio in 300 years. In total, 10 people died. I think 13 people contracted it. Uh, there were three survivors. Um, and uh, at this time, it even started to show some resistance to penicillin, to type G penicillin. Um, but they responded very well. I mean, anyone who complains about the measures, the security measures taken, the sanitary measures taken to combat COVID-19, I mean, we collectively have a very short memory because when you read descriptions of the measures taken in Ajaccio and Corsica in 1945, they were all the same. Uh, Ajaccio was uh, on lockdown. You couldn't travel to other parts of Corsica. You couldn't travel from Corsica to the mainland France. Uh, there, you know, they, they did the major cleanup operation in the city. Uh, they eventually located the um, the epicenter of the plague, and it was in a in a military kind of caserne where they kept the you know, like a, a building associated with the military, basically. Um, well, crazy, crazy. I, I, I actually didn't, this surprised me. I didn't know about this until very, very recently. Um, and I just discovered kind of hap haphazardly. So there you go. Last last plague in France was in Corsica. 
1947 novel The Plague, written by uh, Albert Camus, which became, again, increasingly popular during confinement with book sales going through the roof, factually describes a 1944 plague outbreak in Huaran in Algeria and Algier. And there were five cases of plague in Huaran at this time and 62 cases in Algier. But as we know, he also used the plague as a metaphor for Nazism. <laughs> nice. You see what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's five out of five now. <laughs> all right. So the the plague in Algeria is uh, it's the Nazi of, of all the... Well, no. We, yeah. It's really the Black Death. It's the Nazis yeah. of the plagues. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Serious historians are just like <laughs> frowning. <laughs>